Welcome to Abide in Liberty, a podcast empowering patriots everywhere to re-enthrone faith, family, and freedom as the bedrock pillars of liberty in education, our communities, and our nation. Hello, everyone, and welcome back for another fun-filled episode of Abide in Liberty. I'm glad you're here. As a reminder, we're working our way through the principles of freedom that the Founding Fathers almost universally accepted and agreed to. Uh, And this was not something that they necessarily expressed explicitly. This wasn't like they showed up at the Constitutional Convention and said, all right, guys, let's write down our list of stuff that we agree on. Um, These are things that they agreed on because they had a common um a common education they had a common value system and you know these were kind of just things that were accepted as part of who they were and of what this country was the next principle that we're going to talk about is a government by law and not by men you know this is um Something, again, that for us growing up here in America seems pretty obvious. The law is what is what rules the day. And even if you are a leader, even if you are an elected representative, maybe even if you're the president, you are still bound by the same laws that all the rest of us are. At least that's how it should be. Now, does it always work that way in practice? No. Um, has that maybe um, eroded and and... Uh, gone downhill a little bit in recent years, maybe, but that's the idea. That's the ideal that we all um, espouse. It's the ideal that we all kind of agree with, that everybody should be treated equally under the law. Now, this, I, I kind of have a personal experience with this. Shortly out of college, I was working for a manufacturer in another country. And during this time, so I was in the accounting department and I was really kind of disheartened and frustrated by um, some of the dishonesty, what I perceived as dishonesty in reporting financial information, in reporting forecasts and what people had actually spent. When, when the manager came out and said, you have to meet your budget, people would hide invoices so that they wouldn't be paid, so that they would make sure that they were meeting their budget. And eventually that would all catch up. So maybe one month would look great and then the next month would look terrible because we had to pay these invoices and it would all hit at once. And I I really, really struggled with this. Um, you know, I saw it as dishonest. I saw it as a, a real integrity problem. And so I reached out to the guy that had hired me who became um, sort of a mentor to me and was expressing this frustration. And he told me, he's like, Braden, look, you got to realize something. You grew up in the United States of America where the rule of law reigns supreme. In most places around the world, still, it's not the rule of law, but the rule of the ruler that, that matters. And so in for us, what the law says is the right, just, and moral thing to do. It's the ethical thing to do. But in societies where it's the rule of the ruler, it's the rule of the one in charge, it's what the one in charge wants, that becomes the thing that is ethical. That becomes the thing that is right and true. Now, accepting that the rule of the ruler is what is right and ethical and true, 
is a problem. And, and so, you know, I'm not trying to say that that way of looking at things is equally is as good of a paradigm as the rule of law. But it was really helpful for me, number one, to see other people through the lens of their own upbringing and their own um, country's philosophies of life and morality. But it also is a good illustration of why the Founding Fathers wanted the rule of law so much. John Adams said, no man will contend that a nation can be free that is not governed by fixed laws. All other government than that of permanent known laws is the government of mere will and pleasure. Aristotle said, even the best of men in authority are liable to be corrupted by passion, and it is therefore preferable to any individual. So the reason why the rule of law is superior and why it's such an important principle of freedom is that it becomes predictable. The rule of law is not subject to the whims of any individual. So in a, a society that's, that uh, is dictated by the rule of the ruler, from one ruler to the next, you can have massive swings in policy, massive swings in laws themselves, and in enforcement of those laws. So it creates a great deal of uncertainty and instability, and um, all of those things limit the ability of free government to thrive. Whereas if you have a set body of law that everyone knows and understands and follows and that everyone is equally accountable to, you all of a sudden have a more free society because you're less susceptible for one, one party or one person in power oppressing others because the law doesn't allow them to do that. And a ruler can't just come in, the next president just can't come in and change all the laws because he or she feels like it. So it creates a much more stable, reliable, um, predictable environment. Next principle is the importance of an educated electorate. So the founding fathers saw the mass education of the people of America is absolutely vital to the preservation of liberty in this country. John Adams said, liberty cannot be preserved without a general knowledge among the people. Thomas Jefferson, and this is one of my favorite quotes on the subject, said, if a nation expects to be ignorant and free, it expects what never was and never will be. We simply cannot defend and preserve what we don't know. And as a student of history, Thomas Jefferson is absolutely right. One of the major tools that despots throughout history have used to keep their populace under control is to deprive them of knowledge for years and centuries. After Christ, the church withheld the Bible from the common people. The only people that could read and own and understand the Bible were the clergy. And it was their responsibility to read it and interpret it for the masses. But even then, as Latin became outdated and fewer and fewer of the common people understood Latin, church services continued to be held in Latin. So not only were the common people not able to own and read the Bible on their own, 
but they weren't even able to understand the the passages of the Bible that were being read to them over the pulpit. And so this outpouring of freedom and intellectual thought and the enlightenment came from the masses getting access to education, getting access to knowledge, and getting access to the scriptures. During the Dark Ages, where you have a few noble families at the top all being served by the peasants at the bottom, one of the main tools for keeping the peasants as peasants and keeping them under control was ignorance. I've talked about, I've talked about Alexei de Tocqueville before. He's the guy who came over to the Americas in the early 1800s to see what was so different about the United States of America as compared to the French who had just gone through the French Revolution. These are two very different, two very similar goals, freedom for the masses, but they had two very different outcomes. And we talked about how one of those main differences was the absence of God in the American Revolution, but the absence of education also played a major role. He said when he came out and saw saw the United States of America, he said, In New England, every citizen receives the elementary notions of human knowledge. He is taught, moreover, the doctrines and the evidences of his religion, the history of his country, and the leading features of its constitution. In the states of Connecticut and Massachusetts, it is extremely rare to find a man imperfectly acquainted with all these things, and a person wholly ignorant of them is a sort of phenomenon. So again, education on human knowledge on religion and on the history of this country and its constitution were the main tenets of education. But what's so powerful about that is how widespread that knowledge and that education was. And this applies not just to people in New England and not just to people in populated, wealthy cities. This applied even to the backwoodsmen. So here's another observation that de Tocqueville made on his tour of America. He said, as soon as the pioneer, so speaking of these people who were leaving the comforts of civilization on the East Coast and forging their way into the wilds of the Western frontier. He said, as soon as the pioneer arrives upon the spot, which is to serve him for a retreat, he fells a few trees and builds a log house. Nothing can offer a more miserable aspect than these isolated dwellings. The traveler who approaches one of them towards nightfall sees the flicker of the hearth flame through the chinks in the walls, And at night, if the wind rises, he hears the roof of boughs shake to and fro in the midst of the great forest trees. Who would not suppose that this poor hut is the asylum of rudeness and ignorance? So in other words, who, if they were to look at this rude, crude hut, would not assume that ignorance, that people of ignorance were to be found inside? Yet no sort of comparison can be drawn between the pioneer and the dwelling which shelters him. Everything about him, everything around him is primitive and unformed, but he is himself the result of the labor and the experience of 18 centuries. He wears the dress and he speaks the language of cities. He is acquainted with the past, curious of the future, and ready for argument upon the present. He is, in short, a highly civilized being who consents for a time to inhabit the backwoods and who penetrates into the wilds of the new world with the Bible, an axe, and a file of newspapers. 
He goes on to say, it is difficult to imagine the incredible rapidity with which public opinion circulates in the midst of these deserts. I do not think that so much intellectual intercourse takes place in the most enlightened and populous districts of France. So, in other words, these backwoods, backwards awkward people who are living in these just really rough conditions and conversing amongst themselves, they're coming together and discussing ideas and discussing philosophy in a way that in de Tocqueville's opinion, exceeds the quality, the depth, and the breadth of conversation that is happening in the most enlightened and populous districts of France. Wow. That's the result of a people who care deeply about education. Now compare that with the fact that at the time of the French Revolution and shortly thereafter, a mere 500,000 people of the 24 million inhabitants of France could read and write. And what was it that the Americans were reading mostly and writing about? It was the Bible. It was scripture. It was the documents of their faith. So the, their education and their faith their education and the central role of God in the American Revolution as compared to the French Revolution. Those are two key differences, but they are interrelated as well. Daniel Webster said, It is not to be doubted that to the free and universal reading of the Bible in that age, men were much indebted for right views of civil liberty. The Bible is a book of faith and a book of doctrine and a book of morals and a book of religion of especial revelation from God, but it is also a book which teaches man his own individual responsibility, his own dignity, and his equality with his fellow man. The founding fathers would be absolutely mortified by the state of our current educational system, both in how it is failing to educate people as thoroughly as it should and also in how completely morality and the soul of all education, which is God, has been ripped from it. Alexei de Tocqueville said, It cannot be doubted that in the United States, the instruction of the people powerfully contributes to the support of the democratic republic. So education and instruction supports and builds up and props up this republic. But he goes on to say, in such must always be the case. So that can always continue where the instruction which enlightens the understanding is not separated from the moral education. If you attempt, yes, education builds up freedom and builds up free society if education is coupled with morality. When it's not, we can expect the opposite. All right, next principle, and this is completely unrelated with the last one, was the principle of peace through strength. Benjamin Franklin said, the very fame of our strength and readiness would be a means of discouraging our enemies, for tis a wise and true saying that one sword often keeps another in the scabbard. The way to secure peace is to be prepared for war. They that are on their guard and appear ready to receive their adversaries are in much less danger of being attacked than the supine, secure, and negligent. This is a principle that is borne out in Scripture over and over again. 
um, when the Jewish people were perceived as strong, their enemies kept their distance. Moroni from the Book of Mormon saw the importance of building up places of resort and places of security as a deterrent to attack. Because if their enemies thought that they were ready for them, thought that they were strong enough to repulse them, they were much less likely to try. And the same is true to us today. George Washington said, being prepared for war is one of the most effectual means of preserving peace. I used to work at a place that, um, I used to work at a defense contractor and um, it wasn't all that uncommon to pass picketers outside. It seemed like once a week was kind of their day to come protest the um, the weapons that were being built there. And while I, I understand the sentiment that in an ideal world, we wouldn't need to build weapons. We wouldn't need to invest in our own defense. But it's no accident that the majority of mass shootings occur in places where guns aren't allowed. It's because of this principle that that peace is secured by showing your willingness and ability to defend yourself. Thank you for listening to Abide in Liberty. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and share this with friends and family. In the meantime, Keep up with the show online at AbideInLiberty.com. Also, if you'd like to help our K-12 bless and educate more families, contact us by visiting LibertyYouthAcademy.org. Until next time, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, and be strong.